0: This is Conversations About Life, and my name is Will Jackson, and I'm happy to be here at the Rio Grande Bible Institute um, with Tom Van Corkum. And um, Tom, thanks for taking a few minutes to to talk with me. And um, Tom um, is um, in, in charge of, I guess, the radio department and your radio ministry. Is that what you're you head up Tom
1: I'm the director of media for Rio Grande Bible Institute which means I'm managing the radio department and the media department or the video department but I'm also the broadcast engineer for the radio
0: station okay all right and um just uh, you know what's uh, can you give an overview of your your career history I know you've I think You have missions in your background and so forth. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. uh, I have felt a call in my life since I was 14 years old uh, to give my talents and my time to building the kingdom of God, however God would choose to use my talents. And um, I've always been interested in mechanical things and electronics, Uh, I didn't think at that time I could ever preach or teach. I just said, God, I can't preach or teach, stand in front of people or anything, but I can fix things and build things. So just, I want to use those things for your glory, whatever you want to do. So that was kind of my missionary call. It was a moment considering uh, what God had given me for talents uh, after my brother-in-law had said to me, uh, Tom, God's given you a lot of ability, and he got up and walked away. And that's what led me to thinking about Matthew 6, uh, especially verse 19 to 21, where he says, Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and corrupt and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where it can't be stolen, it can't be corrupted, it can't rust away. And so that's been my goal, my, my guide. I met my wife in high school, my senior year, and didn't expect. We were just casual friends, I thought, and just shared about my missionary call with her. And one day she asked me how serious I was, and I told her I was very serious. And the Lord had spoken to her the summer before about being married to someone who was in the ministry, either as a missionary or a pastor. And that put a whole new, um what can you say, perspective on our relationship And the Lord did lead us to get married. And then uh, I went to Letourneau University and got my degree in electronics engineering. I was given advice by one mission agency that I should get at least two years' experience in industry before applying, which I think is good, good advice. So you find out how the real world works. And I worked in Houston. Uh, in the oil industry, designing tools that went down in oil wells and measured bed boundaries and porosity and dip and strike of the hole miles down. Uh, really, really cool stuff. And I had always said to my boss, in two years, I'm heading to the mission field. He thought I was not serious or maybe a little crazy. But God kind of held me to that. And at two years exactly, I had resigned and been looking for a mission agency, and the Lord led us to Wycliffe Bible Translators. And their technical uh, support part, which was called JARS, used to be Jungle Aviation and Radio Service. They're the part that does the aviation, the two-way communications, computers, um, all the technical aspects. And the Lord led us to Columbia, South America, where we served for 15 years after language school in Costa Rica for Spanish. And then in 1999, uh, we had dealt with a lot of kidnap crises and other issues in Colombia. Um, our oldest was graduating from high school. We have four children. And the, uh, our administration that I had been a part of uh, the last four years in Colombia uh, we had made a plan to turn everything over to the Nationals, and I was advised while on furlough, we are accelerating that plan, and we have to reduce our profile in the country and turn it over to Nationals much quicker than we thought. So you need to find another assignment, uh, and your family, uh, need you need to consider your family uh, where it's at at this point in history, and and uh, how much you've been through and that we were told to stick around the States for a couple of years because of the things we'd been through. So we said, well, where's the biggest need? And Wycliffe had just moved headquarters out to Orlando, Florida, and we went out and interviewed. Uh, there were three positions they said were pretty urgent to fill. We had people pray for God to make it very apparent, and he really did. Uh, never expected I would do what I did for the next seven years, but I was put in charge of worldwide project funding for Wycliffe Bible Translators. And actually, it was a very fun job, one of my most fun positions, traveling around the world. Every field director had to come through my office, learn about the project funding system. I could ask them about their greatest needs and challenges, pray with them. When I was out in Africa or other places uh, I got to meet with national organizations, encourage them to to write up projects for where they saw God working, and um, so it was a lot of fun seeing what God was doing around the world, seeing what our priorities were. But in 2007, God directed us out of Wycliffe after 25 years and sent us to East Tennessee, for reasons that were not very well known. We did not know exactly why. Uh, we discerned that some of it was for a sabbatical. And and then felt like God just wanted us to do whatever he needed us to do for the time. And I ended up teaching at a small Bible college and rescuing a church. Uh, that was connected with the Bible college. But the founder, one of the founders passed away at a young age, well a younger than normal age, uh with heart problems that he could never recover from and then the other founder uh, finally threw in the towel and fell into sin and uh left it all and so he uh, his son and I ended up rescuing the church and the school and moving it and resettling. And, um, and that's where God had us for a time until he directed us here in 2013. And, uh, that was kind of interesting too, because I never imagined myself being broadcast engineer for a commercial, well, this isn't commercial, but for a, a real broadcast radio station, public broadcast in the U.S. I mm-hmm. just had never imagined that. So it's been quite a learning curve. So I've been here since 2013 had to learn a lot. And, uh, and then in the last year I was made director of media as well. So that's, that's kind of my life in mm-hmm. a nutshell.
0: You know, you mentioned discerning God's will. Um, like what does that look like? Um, just to know God, when did you go to East Tennessee, I think you said, um, like, how do you, how can you describe what that's like to discern God's will?
1: I would say it's different every time, even in knowing which country to go to, because Wycliffe didn't tell us where to go unless we said, we don't know. And we didn't know for sure. We didn't feel a definite calling to one country over another. We asked people to pray with us, all our constituency, as we call it, the people who support us and our friends and praying for us. And they've always been a big part of God directing us, I believe. So in that case, I just told the uh, personnel office in Wycliffe, okay, what are the most urgent needs? Because that's always what we've, that's been one of our criteria. Where is there a need? God directed us into this organization. I could explain that too, but it was through prayers that God gave us and how he answered them that that, uh, directed us to Wycliffe. Shutting doors, opening doors, and then uh, with going to Columbia, um, after having sent out a newsletter, asking everyone to pray, uh, God, wow, there's a whole story. I got stories behind everything. So, um, but God arranged some details that put Columbia in front of me right there in North Carolina at the Jars Center to where I couldn't escape it. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, I need to pay attention to this. I had dismissed Colombia. It was one of the urgent needs. But I had dismissed serving there because of the problems there. And I said, well, I'd rather go to Indonesia. It's a new work. I could set up shop. I could do things the way I want. Sounds exciting. God, through even a prayer that Terry and I prayed at our bedside one night, answered it so directly that we knew. He was directing us to Columbia. I could be more specific if you want me to take the time, but in the case of uh, East Ten- uh, going to East Tennessee and leaving Wickliffe, that was a big that was a big jump. Um, our experience is probably a lot different than most people's. Um, we became aware that God directs us through dreams at times. He speaks to us through dreams. It's in the Bible. Nothing says he ever quit, but most of us don't pay attention to him or our dreams seem nonsensical. Uh, In 2000, I asked God, or 2001, I think it was, I asked God to show me. I don't know why this prayer kind of came out of nowhere, but it was the Holy Spirit. I was having struggles with a, a guy I was discipling at church, and I said, God, show me what's wrong with the relationship. Show me in a dream if you have to. And he did. He gave me a hypothetical situation in the dream where I was being very jealous of another person at this camp, just crazy. And I realized when I woke up, ah, God was speaking to me about some jealousy issues I have because our pastor had made this new guy in charge of our whole prayer ministry at church, and I really didn't think he was ready for it, and I thought, why didn't he talk to me first? God convicted me. I had to repent. And so, with that in the backdrop, there were other times specifics about project funding. I said, God, show me in a dream. If you have to, what's going on worldwide? Because our funding had just dropped. And God showed me five specific things about our project funding worldwide in, in our world of Wycliffe. And then God showed me how we were able to see each one get fixed, and then the funding take off like crazy. So, in 2005 and 6, I started having dreams about leaving Wycliffe. I didn't know what to do with those. I just kind of filed them away. I learned to write down my dreams if I thought there was something significant. Then in, um, I was at a, a conference one time at in 2006, and a guy who's, uh, whose kids go to the same school as our kids, we had talked a couple of times, but we didn't know each other. He took me out of the meeting. He says, Tom, God's given me something for you. I didn't know this guy hardly at all. But he said, God's put his words in your mouth and his fire in your bones. And he says, put your feet in the water and the water will part. And by the way, you're leaving Wycliffe soon. Hate to tell you. Okay. I didn't know what to do with that, but I filed it away. And I said, God, there's been an awful lot of hints that we might be leaving Wycliffe. What do you want to do with that? We didn't know. Then there was parts about the church situation we were in and God directed us to a new church very clearly and had told me in a prayer time that we needed to attend this church because our future was connected with it. And it was just an impression of the Holy Spirit as I was praying about that church. Some people had invited us to it. We were in between churches and, uh, So we decided to go, and it wasn't but a few months later, we even tried to move closer to that church, because it was a long ways away, and go halfway between Wycliffe headquarters and that church. And we had no peace about it. So the God directs through the peace also, his own peace in our hearts. It's the umpire. Let the peace of God be your umpire. (laughs) Peace of God rule in your hearts. And so that's another piece of it. So we just stayed tight. You don't go anywhere until God makes it clear. Hang on to where your last instructions until you have new instructions. Um, At that point in January of the next year, January 2007, my wife and I were praying on the bed one Saturday morning for our children, and she was real quiet. I finished praying. I had had an interruption in my thoughts, and when I was done, I just said, why were you so quiet? What was going on? Because sometimes she receives impressions, and I just want to know, what was God speaking to her? She said, well, a funny thing. I felt like God said, we need to get ready to move to Tennessee. And I go, oh, that's strange. I paused in the prayer because I felt, I saw myself walking into my boss's office Monday morning and saying, we're moving to East Tennessee. Do you want me to quit or work remotely? Oh, that's weird when we both get the same impression while we're praying. Can't ignore that. So we said, okay, God, how does that figure in to this church you just put us in recently where our future is somehow connected? If you're moving us, we looked up. It was part of a network of churches. Is there any in Tennessee? Yes, just south of Knoxville. There's one in East Tennessee. So we drew a circle around. and said, okay, God, if that's where you want us, we'll move. But this is crazy. We asked a lot of people to pray with us. Confirmations kept coming back. Yeah, we believe that's what God wants you to do. We don't know why either, but we believe you're supposed to. And there were a lot of other confirmations along the way. The uh, economic bubble had popped in Orlando for housing, and nobody was selling houses. And when the time came after our youngest son graduated from high school, which is something we'd also said, we won't go anywhere till our youngest son graduates from high school. Then we're ready to go to the mission field, whatever God wants. Well, in May, after he graduated, our house sold instantly. And everybody came to us. What happened? How'd that happen? I mean, we didn't even have to advertise it. We sold it with, uh, by our own, on our own. Mm-hmm. And uh, God had directed this couple from Campus Crusade at the time they were called. Now they're called Crew, um, that weren't looking to live in our area, to call me and say, I can't get away from this. It feels like the Lord is directing us to look at your house. And they ended up buying it sight unseen, practically, because they knew God wanted them to buy it. <laughs> it was just all these things. So, you know, and then coming here. So in 2012, my pastor, I was on uh, part-time on staff at our church. At the church, we moved out. We ended up combining churches after res- after the rescue operation. We moved um, our church to merge with another church rather than find another building because our finances had had really dried up. When things go wrong, in a in a church, people know it before it all falls apart. They know when people bail out. We went from two hundred seventy five down to eighty people. We couldn't pay our bills. We had to do something. So we merged our church with another one. I think it was the best thing we could have done. And we moved the school over to that church. So I'm on staff part time, and I had to work and support myself part time, fixing cars and houses. And uh, in 2012, the pastor said, I would like uh, for all of us to go to India. We've been supporting a a mission effort over there, paying for a water well to be dug and, and a pump to be put in. And when they dedicate the water wells, every time a church gets planted, because we can talk about the living water and who provides the living water, he says, I would like us to be a part of that dedication and be a part of this happening. And uh the organization we were working through is going to plan a big evangelistic campaign for a few days leading up to this, and uh I want us all to go. And that was at the beginning of 2012. I was pretty excited about it, but I didn't have a piece about it. Uh My son was also uh, on staff uh, in charge of media there, and um, we tried raising some funds. Not much came in. Then in May... April or May, a former colleague of mine from Colombia, who had been kidnapped for a couple of years, uh, and then had gotten free from the the uh, terrorist guerrilla organization there, the biggest one. Um, he was now uh, at this time, and he still does uh, help put up um, indigenous radio stations around Latin America. Um, it's called Ethnic Radio. To get the scriptures in use in all of these places, because radio can reach a lot farther than missionaries can. And so, he had sent out a newsletter in May talking about putting up a, a shortwave station in northern Peru, at the edge of the road, the edge of the electric lines, uh, that would reach into the Amazon jungle, right there in the Amazon region. And he was taking with him at least two other colleagues of mine, who we were, we all worked together as a team in Colombia. And I said to the Lord, when I read that, I said, God, I should be on that trip. Then I said, God, have him call me if you want me on that trip. And I hit delete. Three days later, he Skypes into my wife's computer and I'm working down in the garage and she comes down and says, Ray wants to talk to you. Why would he be calling you? And I go, oh, he wants to invite me to Peru. I ain't even told her about it. And sure enough, he did. So I put out a quick email to friends and family, and I said, you know, it looks like God might be calling me to Peru to help put in a shortwave radio station. I need to raise my own support. I need so much money. Can you help me? Within two weeks, I had all of it. So I went for a month, and we installed this station. It opened my eyes to how God uses radio to reach far. We took a 1,000 solar-powered little radios on the single frequency And they distributed them among the Quechua Indian groups. Uh, This radio station is reaching 16 different dialects of Quechua that have the scriptures already in recording. The pastor who is coordinating this and kind of in charge of the whole thing, the whole project, highly educated Quechua man who is trying to get evangelized. And he said, I spend a month every year on the river systems here preaching in a different village every month, every week, I'm sorry, every Sunday. No, every night, preaching every night in a different village. And he said, I can never reach them all. He said, but with radio, I can. And he was doing seminars where he'd bring pastors in for two-week courses because none of the indigenous pastors were trained out there. And so he was giving Bible courses and all. And so setting up this radio station, I was able to see how he could start coordinating with the pastors for all the educational purposes. They would come in, they would record their music, their sermons that they could put on the air. And each group said, okay, we want our broadcast from four to five in the morning, from seven to eight in the morning. Each one had their times when they wanted their particular dialect. So that really opened my eyes up to radio. I get back to uh, Knoxville area. We were in Maryville, Tennessee at the church there. And the pastor says, Tom, I got to buy the tickets soon. Now that you've been gotten that out of your system, are you ready to go to India? And I said, I still don't have peace about it. The peace of God. So I said, okay, Lord. I said to my pastor, give me 24 hours and I will make a decision. I went to the mountains, which is my favorite thing. Uh, Spend time worshiping and praying and journaling and which is another key i believe by the way for hearing discerning the voice of god the the will of god is to spend enough time to hear him and i journal a lot of things and i ask god questions i said what do you think god what do you want and i just listen for his answers and i read scriptures and i listen for his answers in the scriptures that um, time i was journaling and i just wrote the question god do i go to india or what i mean i really needed to know <laughs> And I wandered around, I like hiking, and I was praying and thinking and coming back to my picnic table and with my Bible and notebook, and and I felt the Holy Spirit just impress on me as I wrote, no, I have something else for you to do, and you will be qualified for it. I thought, oh, that's interesting, I will be qualified for it, I wonder what that means. <laughs> so I called my pastor up and I said, um, no, the Lord doesn't want me going to India. I get down the mountains. I opened up my computer when I got home, looked at my emails, and here was an email from Rio Grande Bible Institute saying, we understand you might be qualified to be our broadcast engineer. Would you consider coming? I never would have thought about that. Now, there's more behind that whole story, how they even knew about me, which happens to be something to do with my daughter, but we had never talked about such a thing. And I did not feel qualified, but God had already headed that one off. (laughs) he said I would be qualified for it. So that's part of my journey, you know, just quick, you know, well, maybe it wasn't quick, but there's a lot of events. I got a lot of stories.
0: You know, I wasn't planning on bringing up any kind of technical type of stuff, but as you were, you know, I just have this question out of curiosity with cell phones being more and more prevalent. Do you think the future might be in, uh, through getting the message out through internet, would that be replacing what you did through radio or what, what you've been doing through radio?
1: Little by little, it might be for certain in um, metropolitan areas around the world. Cell phones have become a really good tool. You can get the scriptures on a little, a little uh, memory card or they can download scripture um, apps in some countries, those are, um, prohibited and they actually inspect people's cell phones coming into some of these countries that are closed. But in other places, you know, the Jesus Film Project, I probably should be careful with what I say. I know they also, um, are able to help other countries out, uh, people in other countries with different apps where they can get the gospel. But in the indigenous areas that I'm talking about in South America, Um, we were at the end of cell phone coverage. Mm. It was interesting to be around indigenous people, Quechua Indians in the town of Chasuta at the end of the electric line and see um, the ladies cooking around the fire, an open fire. We were having a celebration for having the radio station getting on the air and they were cooking around an open fire for a big celebration And then to see one of them running, I mean, typical Indian old lady, running away from the cooking fire with her little cell phone, answering it. And to have the indigenous pastor, we're sitting on a dirt floor in church, and he has to announce, please turn off your cell phones. That was crazy. And to be riding in a dugout canoe with the pastor sitting on the edge of the canoe on his cell phone until we got out of range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in in those areas in the Amazon region, yeah, there's getting to be more and more services, but they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And even here, uh, Rio Grande or Radio Esperanza, the, the radio station here at Rio Grande Bible Institute, distributed uh, the solar power radios. I've got one right here that's a newer version. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, about twenty years ago, we distributed those to a region in northeast Mexico on the coast of the gulf and we understood recently we heard from some of them saying do you have new batteries for those the batteries don't hold a charge anymore you know as long as there's sun we can listen and they listen to our am station and this 20 years later they said when we're out fishing we listen to you they don't have cell service out there and the new ones have the scripture on them and so we'd like to redistribute about a thousand more of those Mm-hmm. In the same area where we can catch the fishermen, and and uh, they can either listen to the scripture or listen to our broadcast. Yeah. So, yeah, technology is helping, but it hasn't reached everywhere.
0: Yeah. Now you've been experiencing frustrations lately, maybe uncommon frustrations. With, <laughs> um, just do you want to just kind of just briefly describe just what you're you're dealing with right now? Well, we've been trying to put a new uh, station on the air,
1: but I, I need to back up a little bit on that one um, and always remind myself of this. Uh, we have two FM stations and one AM station here at Rio Grande Bible Institute. Um, the AM uh, is directed south. It's a directional antenna system. It's heard throughout Mexico all the way into Central America. The, there's a local FM station for, you know, about 50 miles all the way around this area. And then we have another FM station out in a place called Roma, Texas. It's about 60 miles to the west of us. That covers another 50 mile, 60 mile radius out there, theoretically. There's actually overlap. Uh, and actually, our station is heard a little bit in Monterrey, Mexico, which is quite a bit farther away huge city. Um, We figure we actually cover 4 million people, at least, just here in the Rio Grande Valley, both sides of the border. All our broadcasts are in Spanish. But out west in the Roma area, that whole area all the way to McAllen here is considered uh, a corridor of trafficking, drugs, and people. And the traffickers and the cartels use, I'm thinking, you know, how much I should say publicly, but they they use a form of witchcraft. Uh, it's very prevalent, especially out in Roma, uh, for protection. Uh, Santeria, the Santa Muerte, the Holy Dead, there's a lot of syncretism even in the uh, prevalent church of the area. Among Latin Americans, uh, marrying the, the saints with the holy dead and worshiping the dead and calling on their spirits and sacrificing to them. And it just gets very syncretistic. Um, some of the pastors out in Roma have told us that there are the, um, I'm sorry if this is too graphic, um, uh, heads of chickens and cats on the doorsteps of their churches. When they come for prayer meetings in the morning, and they have to sweep that stuff off because the uh, occultic people have been sacrificing and calling on the spirits to counter Christianity. The in, the the spiritual atmosphere out there is is heavy, but a lot of good inroads are being made. So we have experienced. We had a station there at lower power, um, but on a rented tower, and it's been a problem. And so that's why we moved a little bit out of town, built our own tower and going up in power. That's what we've been working on. Um, But all along the way, it's been one battle after another. And early on, my first months here, uh, I'd be out there working on something, and it would not work. Mysteriously, things would fail. I had the transmitter just shut off on me, and all the power supplies go into failure mode. For no good reason, I was changing an air filter on the back of it. I didn't touch anything, didn't mess with anything. I reset switches, I tried everything, I turned the power off at the panel, turned it back on again completely from the breaker, it would not reset. Nothing I did, and nothing made sense. So I put my hand on it. And I said, this transmitter belongs to Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel getting in the air. And Satan, you get your hands off it, you have no right to be touching this. Then I turned it on, and it worked perfectly. And we've had that over and over. Other equipment, uh, there's something called an exciter. It's kind of the heart of the transmitter that takes the audio and converts it into what's needed for the transmitter to go out. It puts it into the form that FM is in. And modulates it, I guess we could say, simply. um, And also puts it on frequency. And we'd gotten one rebuilt from the factory. It ran one week and failed. And the, the message on the front of it, the factory had never seen before. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know what to do. We were on the phone with them off and on for a half a day. Couldn't figure it out. Here we are off the air for a half a day, which isn't a good thing. So I installed a borrowed exciter because we had to get on the air and it would blow its fuses. It just kept blowing its fuses. And it was a good piece of equipment, we thought. I mean, it had been working. So now we are just stuck. And we looked at each other. I had a a winter volunteer with me. We looked at each other and we said, oh, hold it. We hooked the original one back up, put our hands on it, said, you need to work in the name of Jesus, devil, get your hands off of it. It worked perfectly. Get the other item here, the other unit that was borrowed, and it seemed like the power output board was blown. And I started looking for parts, and it was going to be hard to get. And then I thought, wait a minute, let's just pray. So we prayed, then we put it together. It worked perfectly. Did not blow any fuses. Ah, uh, There's no other explaining it. Now, I ran into this in Columbia quite a bit. That's where I learned you pray over stuff because the devil seems to be able to affect electronic equipment and other things. And we just need to be discerning about what's going on in the spiritual realms, especially when things don't make sense. So every step of the way on trying to get this new transmitter on the air at this new tower location has been a battle. Getting electricity, getting internet, and I've, because of its remote location and because we're right next to the border – it's been hard to get reliable internet. It's hard to get um, everything coming together. Uh, so I don't know if that's answering your question, but it's just one frustration after another. How do we get reliable internet? And in case your listeners don't understand, in case all that are listening don't understand, nowadays, all equipment depends on the internet. And FCC rules that we have to be able to monitor our equipment, be able to log in its data. And otherwise we have to have a person on site living there because we have to be able to shut it off within three minutes of being notified if the FCC says you need to go off the air for whatever reason. So we have to have control and monitoring all the time. And with, and without that, we can't comply. Furthermore, it's too far with geographic, um, Interference, I guess I could say, hills in between here and there. It's too far to get our signal from the studio over there, our audio, through traditional uh, STLs. They're called studio transmitter links, radio links. So we use Internet. And to stream Internet, I mean, to stream your audio over Internet, you want it unbreakable. And I try to have dual Internet on both ends and have an unbreakable tunnel so to speak, a VPN tunnel for those who are technical, so that I can stream my audio over there and have it be reliable. Because as one station manager told me, going off the air even for a few seconds hurts your credibility. Your credibility on a radio station is tied into staying on the air and being reliable. Otherwise, you lose listeners. And we've had so many great reports of listeners who have come to Christ through our station. So, I really and we have have uh, invalids, uh, sick people and shut-ins who listen to us twenty four seven They know when we go off the air in the middle of the night and they let us know if we have. and I get alarms now at night if my systems are working, but um so I feel like we've got to keep this on the air for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of all those who depend on us as their friend through the night for comfort, for encouragement
0: is, um, I guess when it comes to your your personal relationship with God and is there anything that you've, um, just learned through these struggles or, um, just anything along the lines of, um, I guess, you know, being satisfied in the Lord, even when everything else is falling apart or, um, are you too busy to even be (laughs) (laughs) thinking about that? Um, I don't know. you have any thoughts along those lines?
1: Yeah. Before we came here, it's interesting how God prepares us for things. So while I was in Tennessee, one of the things the Lord was impressing on me was that I cannot allow my success as I see it to dictate who I am in Christ and how he sees me. Um, I remember in my journal, I don't remember which year, but it was one of those years while I was in Tennessee, that the Lord impressed on me that in my next assignment, I would not survive it if I could not let go of my personal view of my success. Excuse me. If I couldn't let go of that and just gain my approval from him, all of my approval had to come from him no matter how I looked to myself or to anybody else in my performance. So, yeah, it's easy for when things don't go right for me to think, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. Oh, if I had been more experienced, I would have known this is what I had to do. You know, even getting the electricity as the craziest process that I have ever heard of. But then I've never had to do that before for a new Uh, construction site to get energy wired in, get power poles set and everything hooked up. And in Texas, there's certain overlays. You've got your network energy provider as far as the wires, you know, the actual physical infrastructure. Then you've got an overlay of the energy provider who is the biller, who sells you the electricity and approves putting the meter in and bills you. But the original does the meter reading. It's just crazy. And then you've got to have all the right inspections. And even our contractor, electric contractor, didn't understand all the rules. So it was just one, for us, it felt picky thing after another that had to be in place. And then to have somebody not put in the correct information who should have known better and go two weeks of why isn't this getting worked out? What's happening? What's happening? And finally, I have to take care of it myself. And I find out, oh, they wrote down the address wrong. And so nobody can do anything. (laughs) But anyway, it's the things that I find that I'm inexperienced at. Well, if I just had experience at this, I could have done better. This internet thing. Wow. I've never had to scratch my head and be so creative with internet before. And so – and I'm I'm using satellite internet that's got really long latency for those who understand what that is, real long delays because it goes way up into the space and back. And to try and pair that up with another internet source that I'm having to beam over by a microwave link from the local town, uh the latency is so different that I can't even do dual internet the way I want to. It's just crazy because I don't have enough experience. I would had to learn IT stuff. I'm not a network IT guy. But I've had to learn this if I was just more experienced, if I just had more help. Oh, now, you know, why aren't we able to go to full power the way I was hoping to? Well, you got to protect this station in Mexico, 120 miles away, that is been licensed by the Mexican government to run 50 kilowatts, even though they're only running less than 3 kilowatts, and never have run full power, if they're even on the air. But because of our agreement with Mexico, we have to respect that, so we have to cut back our power to protect them. They're not even doing it. I'm going, why do I have to cut my power back when they're not even transmitting there? You know. So all these kind of things come up, and I wish I had understood that better. We're still at better power, better reach than we were, but not the full potential I'd like to be. So much I don't understand. And I have to fall back on, okay, God told me I would be qualified for this. He's the one that qualifies me. I have to accept that. It's hard. I could get really discouraged. Right now, I'm just tired <laughs> because of the battle, but I could get really discouraged. I could feel totally inadequate, which I do. But I fall back on, he's the one that qualifies us. He's the one who put me here. I have to hang on to that. And by the way, I remember he said, You won't, you won't survive this if you don't get all your approval from me alone. Hmm. Don't get your approval from how well you think you did in your job or anybody else how they think. Mm-hmm. So I have to be reminded of that. I'm so glad God's given me lessons about that.
0: You know, you mentioned um, praying with your wife and journaling. Are there any like particular routines or spiritual disciplines that are just really um, important to you to just undergird you and, and, you know, in the midst of the work, you know, parts of your day or anything that you do? I have developed a few strategies or
1: disciplines. Uh, early on in my life, I was probably still in my 20s. So, I mean, we got to Columbia when I was 26. And like many people, I battled having time in the Word. You know, if you don't get up soon enough, you, you know, you kind of try to discipline yourself. Okay. I got to have time in the word and prayer before I go off to work. Otherwise, the day doesn't go right. You know, you've got all those legalistic ideas. Mm -hmm. I decided to do a kind of a vow, but it was a deal with myself between me and the Lord saying, I'm not going to eat breakfast if I don't eat some spiritual food first. And my wife adopted that with me. And so we make ourselves get up earlier than normal. Then we need to. And it's been easier as we've gotten older. Um, but I started that before I was 30 years old. I am going to spend time in the Word before running off to work. If it means I miss breakfast, I miss breakfast. Um, that has helped me. may not work for everyone. Another discipline that has helped me a lot that I started on the mission field early on, and actually the Lord taught us this because of spiritual warfare. When our kids were little, we had four children, two girls, two boys. Three of them were born in Colombia. And we lived out in the boondocks. I mean, we were out between the jungle and the Andes Mountains uh, in our own mission station, kind of positioned to where we could service all the jungle areas and all the different indigenous groups with our airplanes and getting the Bible translators out to those areas. And we had um, cartel activity, guerrilla activity as in terrorist type, and um, a lot of witchcraft in that area as well. It felt like, to me, the way I described it out there was we were a little candle in a thick darkness. And early on in our staying out there, I felt like there were nights when we couldn't sleep. None of us could sleep. We just all have nightmares. To the point where I learned to declare out loud over my house we belong to Jesus. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. We God give us good rest, good sleep and and guard us. Put a bubble of protection over us. And devil, you have no right to be here. You leave us alone. Otherwise, we couldn't sleep. And so then I learned to pray over my children when they were little. I would they would I'd help put them to sleep cuz my wife was tired by the end of the day, and she'd fall into bed sooner than me. So I would pray over each of them quietly in their rooms. Uh, I believe that was a big thing. But I would also spend some time, because I was more of a night person. It helped me. I would just debrief the day with God. I freed myself from, oh, these distraction thoughts while I'm trying to pray. You know, this legalistic idea, I got to pray and just focus on God now. I decided in the evening, it wasn't going to be like that. I would just talk to God about my day. And sometimes he gave me solutions to technical issues or whatever issues. I would just debrief the day with God, sitting quietly in the living room before going to bed. And I still do that. And sometimes that doesn't feel very spiritual, but I don't think that matters. (laughs) I'm just asking God, okay, God, what do I do about this? And then I say, Oh man, like last night I said, God, I just feel so focused. I've been out at in Roma every day, sometimes on Saturdays, sometimes I don't go home till seven or even nine o'clock at night. I'm tired. I'm sorry. And then I go, No, you're the one who put me on this assignment. I you know, sometimes I want to apologize for being so single focused about my technical stuff. I go, well, God, you know what this is. Uh, let's just talk about it. (laughs) I won't apologize for anything. Um, then beyond that, something I developed, um, while in Columbia on Sunday mornings after helping get the, get breakfast on, getting the kids ready. Um, there was often time because kids, our kids get up early. I would, um, after everything was settled, I would go over, we had a lake at our our mission station in Columbia. I would go to the lake and I would just spend time worshiping out loud and praying out loud with my Bible and notebook. That's where I started that habit. And so I was probably barely 30 years old, maybe. That became a beautiful time of fellowship with the Lord. When you do it out loud, you hear yourself. The atmosphere around you hears you. I mean, the spiritual forces hear you, <laughs> both the angels and the and the demons. I mean, they're hearing you declare the word of God and declare his praises. Hmm. And it sets a different atmosphere. Uh, when you declare the word of God, there's power in it. And it reverberates in the spiritual realms. So that did me a lot of good. And when I was administrator, I ended up after um, 11 years in the technical area in Colombia. I was... In charge of our operations of Columbia, of our mission. And it was a heavy load. Uh, I had 25 people reporting to me. Sometimes it was overwhelming. I couldn't even get to the restroom. (laughs) I had to tell my assistant, please hold every call and every person. I have to use the restroom. (laughs) But sometimes really heavy stuff happened. Uh, And I would just say, I'm sorry. I am heading to the lake for a few minutes, and I'd grab my Bible, and I would sit on a picnic table, and I'd say, God, tell me what to do about this. And I would just open my Bible and say, God, speak to me. So then in in Florida, when we lived there and worked at Wycliffe headquarters, at noontime, I would go for a prayer walk, and I'd keep a New Testament with me, and it would just be the time where I'd open it up randomly. I didn't care. I said, God, just speak to me. I'm just going to open this up and start reading. Just speak to me. And sometimes I would ask him a question about things that had happened that morning. And I remember times when he just showed me memory after memory of my past to heal me of some things, why I was reacting to things the way I was, or he would give me insights about what I was dealing with. So I carried that on. And often, at least once or twice a month, I would take Friday afternoons And I would go to a lakefront park in Florida, close by, with my Bible and notebook. And i just spend time worshiping and asking God questions, writing things down. I really believe that helps us. And I would fast. I used to fast in Florida. I would fast once a week, partly for health and partly because I just knew it was a good discipline. I haven't done as much of that here. I have hard, had a harder time here in, in South Texas finding a place to get away, especially when it's 105 degrees every day, and, um, and it just seems like there's people everywhere, and I, I love the mountains, and there are no mountains here. So I said, okay, God, I know you could minister to Paul even in prison. He was refreshed by you even in prison. Okay, I don't have to be limited by my environment. It, my relationship with God does not depend on my environment or a routine. It has to just depend on fellowship where you get it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, my wife and I get up early enough in the morning to spend a good hour before the Lord. I still pray at night and debrief the day with God at night. Um, I haven't found as much way to get away uh, like I used to, and I I miss that. I, I guess that's a long answer, but that's what we do.
0: Well, thank you, Tom. Thanks for taking this time and um it's just good to hear your story and and inst- instructive and encouraging too so thanks a lot mm-hmm.
1: you're welcome